This is Canvas, a show all about iPad productivity. My name is Fraser Spears, and I'm joined as always by Federico Vitici. Hey, Fraser, how are you? Hey, doing well. How are you? Uh, it's it's fun. It's been a fun week. Uh, still preparing, uh, you know, writing, editing, taking screenshots of iOS 11. And in fact, we are going to talk more about iOS 11 today. Yeah, we want to get people sort of ready for what's coming, I suppose, don't we? Yeah, I mean, it's uh, not a lot of time left at this point. Uh, not really? Just a few weeks and our iPads are going to look different. Fraser is going to be so happy with multitasking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll either have lost my mind or I'll have come to terms with it by that point. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but speaking of other things that are, are coming, I just want to mention Federico uh, Relay.fm memberships, which is something we haven't really talked about that much on the show, but uh, this is a, a, a membership program mm-hmm. that is part of the network that we're on, Relay FM. And the basic idea is that it's a way for you to support the shows. So memberships start at $5 a month and you get access to uh, a monthly behind the scenes newsletter, previews of upcoming shows. So if there's a new show coming up on the network, there's a members feed where you get the first episode early to hear it before it launches as a show. There's also a members only podcast in which Stephen Hackett interviews two hosts about a big topic each month. That's really great. Actually, uh, there was a recent one with uh, Alex Cox and Casey List. They were talking about Elon Musk, which I really enjoyed. Uh, that was a good show. And there's a feed full of bonus episodes of Relay FM shows that come out through August and September. So the reason we're telling you that just now is that we're but we're in the planning stages right now of our bonus show. And I think Federico is going to be the show where we do a podcast about podcasting. This is something that people often ask mm-hmm. us when <laughs> we talk about how we produce this show and the fact that we've done every episode, every single episode of this show has been recorded and edited on iPad. And how do you do that? On, on your end, on yes. On my end, yeah. You're still hanging <laughs> on to that Mac legacy well, stuff. <laughs> I have to. I have to. Otherwise, yeah. you know, my my two bosses, uh, they get upset at me. Yeah, so. You've got- uh, I have to. There. <laughs> <laughs> I hope they're not listening to this segment. By the way, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you wouldn't believe what goes on at this end. <laughs> hey, Mike. <laughs> yeah. Hi, guys. Um, so yeah, we're going to do a podcast about podcasting, which is how all podcasts end up. Uh, but you can support this show and Really FM by going to really.fm/canvas and signing up to be a member. Or if you'd like, you can support more shows by going to relay.fm slash membership and looking at the options in there and seeing which shows you want to support in there. But that's uh, our, our episode is probably going to come up towards the end of August, something like that. We're sort of talking about the date at the moment, trying to line up a guest to come on to that show as well, which I think will be very interesting. And we will talk more about that nearer the time. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So what are we going to talk about today? So we're going to talk about drag and drop on iOS 11. It's one of the major additions to the iPad. It also works on the iPhone, but I think we're going to focus on the iPad because that's where the actual, the true drag and drop between apps works. Um, so I thought before we get into the technicalities, if you will, of drag and drop, because there are plenty of little details and nuggets of information too that are useful to know, I figured we could give a brief overview of what we mean by drag and drop and what the implementation on iOS 11 looks like. Yeah, so drag and drop at its most basic is an idea in user interfaces where the user can pick up some object on the screen and place it down somewhere else. And this has been a thing since the very first computers that used a mouse and a pointer on the screen came out. I mean, a guy called Doug Engelbart first demonstrated drag and drop in December 1968. And of course, it was part of the Macintosh when it came out in 1984. And really and truly, Drag and drop is nothing more than an interactive form of cut, copy and paste. And it builds on a principle that was called direct manipulation in the original Macintosh interface guidelines. So back in the early days, Apple had this book called the Macintosh Human Interface Guidelines, which was about 400 pages of rules for how to design software for the Macintosh. And this was back in a time when most people didn't really understand what a graphical interface was or how it should be designed so that it becomes understandable to people. And in this document, they encoded a lot of learning and a lot of research about how people use computers. And they had distilled it down into a number of principles. And one of the principles was this idea of direct manipulation. And I just want to quote a little bit from that document from the 80s. It says... 
Direct manipulation allows people to feel that they are directly controlling the objects represented by the computer. According to the principle of direct manipulation, an object on the screen remains visible while a user performs physical actions on the object. When the user performs actions on the object, the impact of those operations on the object is immediately visible. So if you think about iOS, we've been doing a lot of that on iOS. We're very used to that. You know, you see something, and then in the case of iOS, you literally touch it. It's not even like the Mac where you use a pointer and you use the mouse, and there's a level of indirection between your hand movement and what moves on the screen, and then what happens to the object. So it's not like you're working a pointer remotely. You're literally on iOS touching and pulling things around. So it's a very direct manipulation interface, iOS, and always has been. And of course, we've always had drag and drop inside applications in iOS. Think about applications like Pages or Keynote. When you put a shape on a Keynote slide, you have to move it, you have to directly manipulate it to pick it up and drag it and drop it somewhere else. So we've had these gestures on iOS since forever, but what we haven't had is we haven't had drag and drop between different applications. And this is what's new in iOS 11, is the idea that you can pick up some data or some object in one application, move across the screen and drop it in another application. And that's really what we're going to talk about today is how does that work? Because obviously there are more implications for drag and drop when you're going between two apps which are potentially written by different developers than obviously you know dragging a, an image or a square or a circle inside Keynote, that's okay because the Keynote developers did all of that. But this is where it gets really interesting is where you can drag and drop between unrelated applications to essentially create new workflows all the way along your experience in iOS. Right. Um, and I think the best way to to sort of understand the way that drag and drop works is to uh, split it up in four stages um, of the entire drag and drop session. And those four phases, if you will, of drag and drop, they would mm -hmm. be lifting, dragging, dropping, and the actual data transfer. Um, and I think it's useful to sort of split up the lifetime of a drag and drop session this way because we can understand all the little details and how the system works behind the scenes. So when you, to activate drag and drop, there's a, a single gesture that you need to perform is a long pressing on content. Now content by itself is an awful word because it describes nothing. So the idea behind the uh, iOS guidelines and you know iOS 11, the documentation, is that all content that is selectable, so stuff you can select, you can pick up, you can uh, hit a select button, button, whatever it is, the method of selection. All selectable content should support dragging. And all editable content, so uh, text fields or a compose box in an email client. So anything that you can edit should support, in theory, dropping content into the editable field. That's the high-level overview that when you can select, you can also drag. When you can edit, you can also drop items in. Um, so when you find something that you can uh, drag away, you can long press, and the, the way that iOS 11 communicates that with you, that drag and drop is going to be supported, is the content lifts up from the screen. It sort of become, becomes bigger, gains a shadow to indicate that it's now being lifted up by your finger. And at that point, um, you, can, you can start dragging away. But before you do that, it's important to know that when you lift an item iOS is not transferring any data and it's not actually exposing any data to anything. The way the drag and drop works is it's not a, an immediate data transfer or even data creation of any kind. Essentially, when you lift when, when you lift an item, you start dragging a representation of the item. Uh, Apple describes this process as a drag is a promise in the sense that the item that you select and that you lift up is it's not an actual file. It's not like the actual data behind the item. It's only a description of the item, like a summary of the item. It's iOS telling other apps, hey, this is what you're going to receive. It's like a description. It's not the actual item itself or the data, you know, text or a photo or a PDF document. So when you, when you lift up... Uh, and you have this item that you can start dragging away, you enter the second phase of drag and drop, which is the actual dragging process. And here's where I think 
the iOS 11 implementation is kind of uh, very much different from macOS. Um, that Apple is leveraging multi-touch to make drag and drop on iOS fundamentally different from desktop computers in the sense that all the fingers that you have, you can use them alongside drag and drop. It's not like when you start dragging and then you can only use one finger and that's the finger that you have on the screen, you can use all your other fingers. Actually, you can even create up to, I think, up to 10 drag-and-drop sessions because if you keep holding one item, you can use all your other fingers to navigate. You can go back to the home screen, you can open apps, you can navigate apps, you can even click the home button, open spaces, or go back to the home screen, whatever. And if you want, you can go into another app and with another finger, select something and hold that content and create a second drag session. Uh, so it's kind of feels like a, you're gonna feel like a contortionist maybe. Uh, you know, uh, I saw people taking uh, videos of like with one hand, five fingers holding five different items. You can do that, that's possible. And it's kind of remar remarkable from a technical perspective, the way that iOS 11 deals with this. Like you don't lose a single frame, uh, it stays locked to, you know, to. Uh, 60 frames per second, there's no stuttering, it's very smooth, it's very well done, but it, it's not exactly practical from a you know, physical and ergonomic point of view, I guess, but it's possible. But I guess the, the, the primary way that Apple is advertising multi-touch and drag-and-drop is with one hand you're holding something. So let's say with one hand you select some text in notes and you start dragging that text or actually maybe a photo is a better example let's say that you lift up a photo in the photos app and you want to start dragging that photo away but then you realize you know what i actually want to share two photos instead of one and so with another finger you can tap in on another photo and that photo is going to be added to the in-process drag. So you're going to create a stack. You're going to be dragging a stack of photos around iOS. All while, with the second hand, you can still mind your own business and navigate apps, open whatever you want. It's fully interactive and it doesn't block the interface. And I think that's that's impressive from a technical point of view. Yeah, that's new, isn't it? I mean, we've never really had that before in desktop computers right. because, well, you can certainly... You add to a selection and then single drag a whole selection on a desktop computer. You've never been able to. There's not. There's not a second pointer on a desktop computer that you can use to a hold stuff and then b also add stuff to the drag at the same time. So this is this is quite new behavior, even for people who are used to desktop computers, um, being able to start a drag and then add to the basically go around gathering things up. And am I right, Federico, that you don't have to? You can add things to the drag from multiple different sources. So, so that you could pick up from photos and then you could go to files and get a file and put that in. So uh, I think the uh, that doesn't work uh, right now. And I'm pretty mm -hmm. sure that the reason is uh, that the in-progress uh, session is either limited to the source app, so where it started, and also okay. in the in the source app. So there's two fundamental concepts here. It's the source, which is where you start the drag, and the destination, which is where you drop the item. So the the session starts in the source and I think it's it's limited to content from that source and also developers can limit the session to uh, specific types of items. So for example, in mail, you could not select an email message from the inbox and then add to the stack like a photo, like an attachment, because the usually the session needs to contain similar items. And I have I haven't honestly tried to um, pick up like a photo from photos and then in a similar but different photo app tap on another photo and see what happens. But I'm ninety percent sure that's gonna create a second uh, drag session. It's not gonna be added to the to the original one. Um, and to the point of you're not actually transferring data at the moment that you drag away um, when you hover over apps you're holding a photo or holding an email message. The other fundamental concept of drag and drop on iOS 11 is that it's, uh, it's private by design. Um, when you move your finger over, say, the Facebook app, the Facebook app cannot see the photo that you're holding. It can only see uh, the framework saying, well, if you want to, I have a photo. 
And that's all they're going to see. Uh, they're not going to see this, the metadata of the photo. They're not going to see the data, <laughs> like the actual JPEG of the photo, uh, in any case. And the idea is this promise sort of creates a contract between the source and the destination. And only if both uh, parties agree, at the very end, Facebook is going to see the photo. But when you're still hovering, when you're still not sure you want to drop the item, Facebook is only going to see iOS saying, I have a photo <laughs> if you want it. And yeah. that photo is maybe a JPEG or a PNG. That's all they're going to see. And also the preview that you see under your finger when you drag content around, again, that's only like a static basically it's an image preview of the item uh it's um, bigger than a thumbnail and developers can choose to customize the preview of the drag item for example in maps there's a very nice implementation when you hold uh, an address uh the moment that you start the drag like you move outside of the original mm, address it sort of it becomes this small tile with a map preview it's very nice looking, and there are developers can customize the the look of these uh, items. So that's kind of cool. Uh, but I guess the main um, the main point here is on the iPad we can drag content and drop an item from one application to a different app, and this creates a, uh, an issue for. Uh, compatibility between apps because, as you mentioned before, you maybe you pick up something up in. Uh, in Keynote, uh, but maybe Procreate doesn't know what that means, or you know, maybe you pick up a vector drawing in Affinity or something else, and Photos has no idea what we're talking about because these two, you know, apps are created by different developers, and so the moment that you expose content directly, there needs to be some kind of Rosetta Stone for apps to say, What are we? saying to each other here what does it mean that you're exposing like this vector drawing what am i supposed to do with it and uh, the way that apple uh, is dealing with this uh, i think it's kind of clever i'm 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 not sure how well it's going to work in practice especially because i only have like 10 ios 11 betas by third-party developers there are not enough apps to know exactly but the idea is when you drag an item it's not just one single file you're uh, dragging. It is one item, but that one item can be represented in multiple ways. Uh, so, for instance, if you start dragging some text from Apple Notes, that little text snippet um, can be interpreted by an app, the destination app, uh, can view a rich text version or a plain text version if the app cannot deal with rich text. It can even be HTML if the app prefers HTML. And this uh, idea of assigning multiple representations to drag items, starting from the highest fidelity one, is to maximize the compatibility between apps. So there isn't just one representation of the, the item because what if the destination cannot understand that and so the idea is let's provide some fallback options uh, for the destination app to request or to sort of understand uh, if the item can be imported and what's gonna look like and this way maybe apps can match user expectations and be consistent during drag and drop and Fraser D the system is uh, based on the idea of UTI uh, file types. Mm -hmm. So give us some context on, on UTIs. Yeah, so a universal type identifier, UTI, is a, a description of what a piece of content actually is. So as you probably know, you know, computers store data as bits, ones and zeros. And that same sequence of ones and zeros could be interpreted in possibly many ways. And it's not always clear just by inspecting the bits what you're supposed to say it is. You know, is, is a sequence of bits plain text? Is it an image? Is it a PDF? What is it? So these universal type or uniform type identifiers are descriptors that say things like uh, plain text or PDF or JPEG or ping. And this tells the application, the application that's receiving the drag essentially gets a list of type identifiers and 
it can choose the originating app says well this one at the top is the best one that I have and then I have slightly worse ones and slightly worse ones and slightly worse ones all the way down to the end and it, the essentially you're looking for the best match between what the originating application can produce and what the receiving application can understand and this can sometimes lead to slightly strange effects. For example, if you were to drag uh, an editable shape from a vector drawing application and then drop it in another application, you may end up just getting a JPEG representation of that group of shapes. And it wouldn't be editable in that case. But that's because the receiving application doesn't understand the editable shaped definitions that the originating application understands. So you get a, a visual representation of your stuff but it doesn't have necessarily have the same properties as it would have right. in the originating app. But that's that's the nature of it. You can't make everybody support everybody else's data formats, but you can find some common ground in between mm -hmm. that you can use to transfer between one and the other. So this is one of my concerns with drag and drop, but I think I'm optimistic and I think developers will figure it out because based on what I've seen so far, developers are very much aware of this problem of... Um, we have multiple representations. How do we make sure that what the user is expecting is actually what's going to happen when a drop occurs? And yeah. I've seen a, a few encouraging signs of, first of all, developers are definitely going to follow the Apple suggestion of always start from the highest fidelity representation of an object. So if it's a vector drawing, first expose your custom data format. Because maybe, you know, maybe you are Sketch. And I mean, Sketch is not an iOS, but to give an example, now the Sketch file format is open source, I think. So, you know, if you have an open source file format, even if, even if it's a custom one, another application can write support for that format. So you don't lose any of the data. Otherwise go with you know the highest the best option like uh, a vector file then move down to png or jpeg or you know pdf of course is even better uh, and developers are following that and i've also seen others who are basically exposing a ui for this like i'm trying apps that when you drop stuff in they're like hey i'm i can deal with like four different versions of this file. Which one do you want? And like they ask you, hmm. do you want the plain text? Do you want the rich text? And yes, that adds some, you know, it becomes more of a slow process. But I think if it's a setting and if it's only in professional apps uh, to make sure that, you know, the content that you want is in the format that you want, uh, I think that's going to be fine. And um, it also opens up you know, sort of this new type of workflow of uh, kind of a dynamic conversion between items. Like, I'm, I just tried the other day, I, I was looking at a shop in Apple Maps, like a local shop. And out of curiosity, I, start, I started dragging the Apple Maps listing and I dropped it into contacts and he offered to create a new contact card for the store with the name, the phone number, and the address. And I was super impressed. And that, uh, then I, you know, I have a debug uh, app to look into this stuff now. And uh, I looked into what happens when you start drag, uh, dragging a, an address from Maps. And in fact, Apple is providing a V-card representation of the address. Uh, so, you know, it's basically up to the developer's imagination to yeah. think of all the possible formats that, their content can be sent over to different apps. So that's going to be fun. Yeah, that's an interesting example of a, an app where they're sending their best representation and then they're sending like an alternative conception of that as a yeah, card. It's not exactly. Um, it's not exactly like a place on a map, but uh -huh. it's another useful representation that has a useful path. And the other place you can see this, or the reason for developers to use their native formats, is if you've got a developer that's got more than one application, right? Think about maybe OmniFocus and OmniOutliner side by side. Right. Being able to do high fidelity drag and drop between those two applications would be really, really useful. Yeah. You know, so that's another reason why it, it's not just cust it's not just standard file formats, but it also involves possibility of custom types as well. Yeah. It'll also be interesting to see how. Uh, from a visual perspective, developers deal with this because uh, they can do custom animations for lifting. They can do custom previews for the item that you're dragging, and they can do they can add affordances. They can add 
custom animations when you drop, when you hover, when you drop, when you enter the bounds of a possible dropping area. They can do all kinds of custom visual work. And that's going to be interesting, um, you know, because I, I think it's important to offer, uh, to communicate with the user, here's where you're going to be able to drop, here's what just happened, and not just from a data perspective, but from a user experience perspective, to have the visual cue that, yes, I am dragging, and yes, I just dropped, and here's what is going on. Um, that's going to be important. And by default, uh, you know, in, in collection views, for example, when you, when you lift an item, when you start dragging the item, it creates a gap in between existing items. So imagine like a mm -hmm. grid of images and you start dragging one and sort of like on the home screen where when you drag an app icon and the icons rearrange in real time, which by the way on iOS 11 is powered by the same drag and drop framework, that's also going to be available for apps. So you can communicate visually in real time the effect of drag and drop, which is, I, I think that's going to be useful. Yeah, that's really important from a user experience point of view to to help the user understand what's going to happen when you drop all this stuff. Because one of the things with the idea of being able to pick up multiple things in a drag, you can potentially be dragging a lot of data, a lot of different objects in one gesture, and be able to understand what the world is going to look like after you drop is a very important kind of bridge for the user from where you are right now to what it's going to look like after you're finished with this this drag and drop operation. So, yeah, the the custom animations and the rearranging and stuff like that is is going to be really important to get right. And I suspect we'll see a bit of tweaking in that from time to time yeah. for different types as well. Because you know developers will will write the first version of these apps and they'll they'll think of all the common cases and a few special ones. But then another app will come along that does something other otherwise, and then people might want to re reevaluate to accommodate that as well. Yeah, honestly, I think most developers will have to deal with the problem of users not knowing where they can drag and where they can drop. So they'll yeah. they'll have to be extremely careful with uh, signaling the the fact that yes, you can drag this item, you can pick it up and drag it, and yes, you can drop here. So we'll have to see what happens. Fraser, I want to do the final step of the drag and drop uh, life cycle, but before okay. we do that, I think we should thank our friends at Ministry of Supply. Yes, I think we should, because they've been with us for a good few weeks now, and they're really uh, great supporters of the show. This episode is brought to you by Ministry of Supply yet again. Every week we spend 40 hours a week working in uncomfortable clothing. Clothes that are restrictive, clothes that feel, you feel that you can't breathe in, and by the end of the day they're all wrinkled too. And Ministry of Supply is putting an end to all of this. They make performance clothes for the modern-day workplace. Launched by MIT engineers, Ministry of Supply combines human-centric research, performance technology, and tailored design to create wear-to-work clothes for men and women like dress shirts, blouses, and pants. Their garments work with your body to provide maximum comfort whilst giving you great features like temperature control, wrinkle resistance, and extreme stretch to give you a sharp, professional look all day long. Ministry of Supply's Future Forward Dress Shirt has NASA-invented fibres that regulate body temperature based on your surroundings. Now, Federico, last week we debated whether or not their coffee-based socks were as good as putting <laughs> coffee right in your mouth. Uh, I have experimented with both this week, and I can promise you that as much as I love wearing their socks, and I do, I much prefer putting coffee in my mouth rather than wearing it on my feet. But the smarter dress socks from Ministry of Supply are made of coffee fibre that wicks sweat and absorbs odour. They provide extreme cushion with more padding than gym socks. Ministry of Supply offers free shipping, free returns and a 100-day no-questions-asked return policy. To find out more and get 15% off your first purchase, go to ministryofsupply.com slash canvas or you can visit any of their nine retail stores in locations including San Francisco, Atlanta and Chicago and mention this show to also claim your 15% off. Our thanks to Ministry of Supply for sponsoring Canvas and all of Really FM. So you've picked up an item, you drag the item around between apps, you have identified a destination and you drop the item. So what happens? It's uh, only at this point that iOS actually transfers the data and that the destination yeah. app can finally see the data that it's incoming from the source. Um, when the drop occurs, uh, and even right before you drop, the destination can do th two things. It can either tell the source uh, 
hey, um, I'm expecting uh, images. So unless you're passing images, I'm just going to say no. And the user is going to see a forbidden badge on top of the drag item. Or they can do things like, uh, well, I accept as a destination uh, items of the type JPEG, PNG, PDF. They can provide an actual list of UTIs to the destination. So if the drag is success, if the drop is successful, at that point, iOS begins begins moving the data to the destination. And here's an important note: drag and drop is also supported within the same app. In fact, on the iPhone, drag and drop is only available within the same app that you're currently using. And when you're dragging and dropping inside one app, usually the data is moved. Uh, from one place of the same app to another. Yeah, that's like the keynote example of you know taking a shape and moving it. You don't leave the shape behind. You always you know take the shape with you and drop it somewhere else. Exactly, but when uh, on the iPad, when you drag content from the source app into the destination, iOS copies the data. It always copies the data from one app to a different app. The data is always copied, so you you're not actually moving text from, say, Ulysses to mail, you're copying the text. Um, And that data transfer is always an asynchronous one. So it doesn't block the interface, and it happens as like a separate process. Um, And it's also meant to allow you to continue working when the transfer is occurring in the background. For example, let's say that you drag in five uh, high-resolution photos from iCloud Photo Library, you know, from photos, into uh, day one. Let's say that day one accepts uh, drag and drop in the future. And the, the photos are in the cloud, and they are 15 megabytes each, so they need to be downloaded. But you've also dropped the content, and you don't want to care about that anymore. So the drag-and-drop framework can create placeholders, uh, and in those placeholders, developers can show progress. So, for example, for photos, Apple shows a thumbnail, like an empty white thumbnail with a progress bar on top that allows you to continue working. It lets you tap and navigate the app, but in the meantime, the thumbnail is going to fetch the photo from iCloud and it's going to be the image that you dropped is going to be there eventually. And this is what I mean by asynchronous, like it works in the background and it doesn't depend on you watching the data transfer occurring in the foreground. You can do something else. Yeah, because you, you couldn't you couldn't reasonably like hold the drag until all of that stuff yeah. gets downloaded from the cloud and then drop it. That would be yeah. crazy, you know. Because yeah. some of these could be big files, right? They could be, you know, for right. podcasting, we we generate you know three hundred and fifty five hundred megabyte files, audio files, you know. Um, of course, movies are getting higher resolution all the time, so you can potentially drag and drop a lot of data in one throw. So you need to have some way of not making the user wait for the system to get organized to transfer all that data over. Right. And that's also good from a performance point of view, because when you're dragging, you're not, you know, committing to like a 60 megabyte file that you're moving between apps. And that has to come with possible performance problems. Uh, And I think it's also... We should note that um, when you're dealing with a file copy, uh, like an actual file from one app to another, I'm pretty sure that iOS 11 is using uh, the new um, the, f- the cloning feature of APFS, the new file system on iOS. So it creates like an instant copy that doesn't that doesn't uh, waste more. Uh, space on the disk so you're not wasting storage it's a copy of the file but it doesn't take up any more storage space and i'm pretty sure this happens all the time with the file copy i would like to confirm that you know uh this only applies to files and i don't don't even know if only to big ones if there's a possible threshold for big files or if it's just to any file in general that you're copying apfs comes in and says i'm gonna create a clone of that uh but that's pretty cool and it sort of um it sort of shows how before we get features there's always some 
Uh, Apple is always laying some groundwork in the years before that. And when you look at stuff like the Pencil, for example, uh, you know, the display technology was obviously a sort of foreshadowing of that. And with drag and drop and with these file transfers between apps, APFS, you know, maybe in a way is also responsible for that because, you know, you're creating copies without wasting storage on your iPad, which is pretty neat. Yeah, I mean, I would guess that only applies to actual files that are saved on local storage because if you're dragging, say, a piece of text within a web page, that doesn't exist on your storage at all. So it's going to be those photos, those videos, those files in the Files app. Uh, I I suspect those are the only places you could use APFS as a way to save space, whereas everything else is going to be done in memory. I would assume, although I'm not party to any information about that, of course, but that would be my guess anyway. Yeah. So you want to? That's the life cycle of drag and drop. You know, is there's a beginning phase, there's a dragging phase, there's a dropping phase, and then in the background, perhaps over a period of time, there's a, a data transfer phase as well. And that only happens, of course, when you're committed to the drop as well. You've got to drop before the data transfer starts. So there's a lot of optimization there. If you ever, uh, if you ever don't complete the drag for some reason, you've not transferred any of that data, and it, it allows the drag to begin very quickly as well because you don't have to like prepare a 60 meg file in order yeah. to start the drag. That would be a, a drag, if it were. Um, <laughs> oh, freeze. So, sorry, sorry. <laughs> yeah, I'm just going to hang up now. Sorry. Um, so let's take a look at some practical examples of drag and drop in use. I know that uh, Notes has been a, a big application that people are using to test mm-hmm. the experience of drag and drop both ways. Uh, anything else that, that you've discovered, maybe by accidentally tapping on, that it can be dragged? So um, it's fun to... Um if you spend a lot of time browsing in Safari, uh, to I mean, besides selecting text on a web page um, and dropping that into notes, notes is the like you can throw everything into notes uh, from links to rich text to photos, documents. It's a great way to test drag and drop, as you say. In Safari, it's nice to drag links onto the, ad- the address bar to sort of as a quick way to navigate to them. Uh, and also, uh, I try to... I was surprised by this. Uh, I'm not sure if it still works on Beta 4, but definitely did in Beta 2, to pick up multiple items from reading list from the sidebar and dropping them uh, into the main view, and they open each on a separate tab. And I was surprised oh, nice. by that. That, mm-hmm. that was very nice. Um, yeah. I've also been doing a lot of... Uh, dragging between photos and messages because the um, the photo picker in mess in messages is nice but it's slow and in photos mm. i can pick up a bunch of items and videos uh and i can drop it into the compose box and it, i think it's quicker especially when i need to send you know a bunch of photos of my puppies to my mom uh <laughs> you, you're dealing with a lot of stuff and the photo picker in messages is kind of clunky yeah and, and the the photo picker is it's only really good for the most recent stuff, isn't it? You know, yeah. say you wanted to run a search in your photos and then drag some of those results, that would be it would be much nicer to bring photos up, maybe in slide over or split view, and then spend a bit of time there getting the right photos and then dragging them all over. Yeah, and I should also mention um, dragging from mail. It's a nice, ex- uh, nice example of the idea of multiple representations. So right now. Uh, when you drag a message, you get at least three mm, versions of the item. One is the message line, uh, so the the subject line. I'm sorry. Um, okay. So you get the the subject of the email. Then you get the rich text of the actual email uh, of the of the message, which is you know you want to drop it into a note to someone. That, that's nice. And then you get the the URL scheme of a message to reopen that individual email message into the mail app. Um, And that's gonna be handy, I think, especially in task managers. So imagine if stuff like OmniFocus optimizes for mail, for example, and they allow you to pick up a message and you drop it into OmniFocus, and that message becomes a rich task that has the subject line as the title, the body of the email as the note and the link to the message to quickly reopen the messaging mail. So I think it's going to be awesome to have this integration between mail and task managers 
Uh, and it's sort of a way to bridge the gap between Apple Mail and third-party apps. Because that's, that's the first time that Apple has exposed the message URL in, on iOS, I think, haven't they? Um, they did before, but it was kind of hin- hidden. Like, yeah. you, if you asked um, Siri to remind me about this i think it created like a reminder with a mail icon and if you if you are a developer uh, on the mac and you inspect the item you could see the message link but of course most Mm -hmm. people don't do this and also i think the the way that most people noticed back on ios 8 is by creating an email message that uh, you know an email message that that contains a calendar event if you tap in on the suggestion and you add an event then if you go into the calendar app for that event you're going to see the message uh, link at the bottom of the event and most f- people when they noticed that a few years ago they realized well apple is using the same message url scheme that's been on the mac since the days of leopard i think it's the message column slash slash scheme and from that point on, people realized that these links were actually working. And uh, so developers have been doing all kinds of crazy hacks too. Like in Airmail, you can choose to grab a link to a message with the custom Airmail URL scheme, or you can get the, the Apple Mail version uh, because it's a common protocol. So, you know, you can, you can use it even if Apple doesn't officially allow it. But with drag and drop, uh, it's going to be exposed. So... Uh, I'm definitely excited for my task manager to understand email messages. Yeah, I think that's going to be a real source of power. Uh, if, people, if task managers do the right thing, and I think this is something that people have wanted so much that I think uh, you're going to see task managers be very careful to get that URL out of the out of the drag and do something with it. Yeah. So the other thing to mention, Federico, is you you sort of alluded to it in passing, was that drag and drop is also one of the fundamental techniques now for working with the home screen on iOS and to a certain extent multitasking. So when you, on the home screen, you can drag applications. Now we've been able to do that before whenever we went into the rearrange mode, you know, you tap and hold on an icon, they start wiggling about and then you can pick one up and drag it somewhere else. Well, you can still do that on iOS, but there's now a level of dragging sort of in the middle where if the applications are stationary, you can pick one up, drag it, and then you can use a number of different gestures to put the application somewhere else. So the first and most obvious thing is you can drag it from the home screen onto the dock in iOS 11, and that's that's fair enough. The other thing you can do is you can pick up an application from the home screen and if you use another hand to activate a different application, you can then, while holding the first application, drop it on the left or right of the screen to begin a multitasking session with those two applications. What I discovered in beta 3 was that if you drag an application on the home screen and hover it over another application, the application you're hovering over will then launch and then you can drop your application on either either side. So you can actually begin a, a two-application drag session, a multitasking session by dragging one onto the other, holding for a second, they launch, and then you can place them on either side. So those are some of the things you can do with drag and drop on the home screen. It's a little bit weird because you're basically doing the same gesture as you would do in rearrange mode to create a folder, but this now does something completely different. So it's a little strange that the same gesture does different things based on the mode that you're in. But these are some of the ways that you can use drag and drop on the home screen. And of course, if you are rearranging, don't forget you can pick up loads of apps in one go and then you can drop them all in a folder. So this is one of the cool things about iOS 11. You remember before when you want to rearrange your iPad, it's been really tedious to move like five apps, two screens over. Well, now what you would do is you would pick up all five applications drag that pile of applications over a couple of screens and drop them and all five applications would move in one go. So it's a really efficient way to rearrange the home screen on your iPad now. And it's, it's something worth getting to grips with because it's a, it's a lot of power when it comes to organizing your apps. Yeah, and the, the thing you mentioned about uh, holding briefly over an icon, that's part of, a, of a, the drag and drop support for uh, spring loading which is also exposed to apps so uh, you can hold an item and pause briefly as you're dragging over 
a certain element of the destination app. It can be a control, like a button. It can be something else. And developers can support spring loading, loading which is, um, you know, it's been on the Mac for years. Uh, and it's also available on iOS. So you can spring load apps onto each other, but that also applies to content. So, for example, even uh, you can use it to navigate apps. If you pick up something and you want to go back, in some instances in, in Apple's own apps on iOS 11, you can uh, hover over the back button in the top left and you're going to navigate okay. back. So, so if you uh, wanted to drop into a different note, for yeah. example, in the one you've got up? yeah. I'm not sure that it's supporting notes, but I've seen at least in a couple of Apple apps. I cannot remember which ones. It's kind of inconsistent. Maybe it got better in beta 4. Yeah, so and you could imagine that being used, like for example, in OmniFocus as well. If you wanted to drop into a specific project, you might hover yeah. over a folder, the folder would open, and then you could go into the project, and then you could drop it precisely. Because this is, to me, this is one of the things with iOS 11 that's a little bit tricky. Is we want they want us to use a lot of drag and drop, but my one of my difficulties at the moment is that. It's kind of clunky to get the source and the target both visible at the same time. You have to kind of constantly be rearranging your screen to get the source application and the target application together and then be able to see both places. So if there's more of that kind of navigation stuff that can happen while a drag is going on, I think that's going to help this, this scene quite a lot because you've been able to do that in the Mac for years. I think it's like Mac OS 8 or Mac OS 9 where you can drag a folder, an icon on top of a folder hold it and the folder would spring open and then you could spring open another folder you could actually drill down a whole folder hierarchy and drop your file like 10 levels deep inside this folder if you wanted to just by mm -hmm. holding the drag long enough and i think there, there are some interesting opportunities to solve some of the complexity of multitasking on ios by being able to hover over certain things and just drill into it while you're dragging uh, we'll see how that goes. It's, it's going to be down to a lot of developers to, yeah. to implement it consistently, and uh, we'll see how that goes. But in principle, there's the API, the drag-and-drop API has certainly got enough in there to to get that job done at the end of the day, doesn't it? Yeah. Uh, I, I don't think Apple sees uh, spring-loading as the primary way. I mean, in the, in, the, in the guidelines, they are saying to developers... Spring loading should not be your primary interaction with the drop. But yeah. I think what we're seeing is, especially when you're using the iPad in, in, in external keyboard mode, it is convenient to drill into destinations without having to use two hands. So even yeah. if it's not the primary way that Apple is suggesting the developers use, I think it is going to be used in some instances because it is convenient and it feels more like a Mac. Uh, and I think there's a, there's a, a whole lot other discussion that we should do eventually on multitasking on iOS 11 because drag and drop is maybe tangentially related to that because in a way it affects uh, multitasking but i think we should also we, we should discuss the entire changes like the split view and the dock and the spaces uh yeah separately because there's more to drag and drop uh you know there's more to multitasking than just drag and drop in, in 11 no for sure for sure i think there, there are so many new behaviors at once with ios 11 that it's hard to you know like i've got a couple of problems with multitasking but it's hard to talk about those problems with multitasking without first talking about drag and drop and then talking about spaces and it's, it's all of a piece, right? And and I think uh, I'm trying to take some time to understand more, like what am I supposed to actually be doing here? And I think I'm getting it. I'm, I'm not sure that just by getting it is going to be fine. I think there are certainly some actual problems there, but uh, it's definitely a, an hour's worth of talking by itself. But drag and drop certainly part of it, you know, and, and if Apple is encouraging us to use drag and drop as a main me method of moving data around iOS, then that is tied up with our ability to get, get to the source and get to the destination in reasonable amounts of effort. And I think that's where there's a little bit of stickiness right now, is that sometimes getting the source and getting the destination together in order to do a drag is, that's kind of clunky, I think, at the moment. I think that's the main point, because you keep saying you need to get them together, and I yeah. don't think Apple thinks they should always be together. 
So they're, they're, they want to sell hard on the idea of you start the drag and then you go back to, you know, you go back to the home screen or whatever. You open multitasking. Like, you don't have to okay. be in split view all the time. At least that's their reasoning. I'm not saying so it's right or wrong. a lot of that. But they, that the, two-handed navigation stuff. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. I mean, I, I think I am adjusting, but I, I can see why, especially coming from iOS 10, you, you, you're saying, I'm used to have a single split view, so now I assume I should always be in split view. And yeah. I think Apple doesn't want you to work in that way anymore. I wonder if this is, this is uh, an artifact of people who use bigger iPads versus smaller iPads. Hmm. Because I, I think that if, you, if you're a 12.9-inch iPad user, you do genuinely spend a large majority of your time in a split view with a couple of apps going. Mm-hmm. Whereas mm-hmm. I think on a 9.7 iPad, for example, you're probably using one app at a time and very occasionally right. going into a second app. And I, I wonder if this difference in attitudes is, is partly due to the way that people are used to working on different sizes of device. I wonder if that's something to do with it as hmm. well. That could be. But it also goes back to the... Uh, I think to to highly enjoy iOS 11, you need to buy into two ideas: the dock and slide over as the third app. Um, yeah, which we are going to discuss. But I I think it's a, especially the dock. It, 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 like unless you embrace the dock, you're gonna have a hard time on iOS 11. And uh, there are some problems with that idea uh, of not having like a separate app launcher, but like personally i am liking the dock a lot like i'm constantly constantly swiping to open the dock and yeah um i think we should do the multitasking show if only to understand the two different ways that we work on the ipad because i'm on the big one i think you're on the big ipad too so uh it's it's fascinating to me that we're coming from two different backgrounds uh, and sort of to understand how how and if this system can scale. So uh, before iOS 11 launches, maybe we should try uh, to do this this episode on, on on multitasking. Yeah, let's let's try and get that together, and we'll see if we can change the course of history in some way. All right, we'll, we'll try. We'll cool. try. Okay, well, let's wrap up this one for now, Federico. This has been Canvas episode 41, uh, getting ready for iOS 11, talking about drag and drop. You can find show notes for this episode at relay.fm slash canvas slash 41. You can connect with us on Twitter. The show is underscore canvas FM. I'm Fraser Spears on Twitter. Federico is Vitici, and we'll talk to you next time.